0: This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at drax.com. Hello and welcome
1: to Coffeehouse Shots, the spectator's daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Kate Andrews. And we're going to be bringing you a special edition of the podcast later from Liverpool and Labour Conference, where I am. But before we get to that, the big news really in Westminster and the country today relates to Liz Truss's not-so-mini-budget. James, we saw obviously the pound drop against the dollar on Friday. We saw lots of warnings from economists soon after those measures were unveiled by quasi Kwarteng, her Chancellor. Obviously over the weekend there weren't any updates, but how are things looking since the markets have reopened?
0: So the pound fell to a historic low overnight in Asian trading. It's recovered somewhat from there. I personally think the focus on the pound is actually a bit of a distraction. That is not the the biggest issue here. Uh, And there are two reasons for that. Firstly, the UK has no exchange rate peg right now. So you are not, by definition, going to have some kind of Black Wednesday moment. And the second point is UK debt... It sells is denominated in pounds sterling. So the norm, the way that you get a currency crisis in inverted commerce is that you sell debt denominated in another currency, and you're falling against that currency. Those things can't happen in the UK. The two things I think that should worry the government are a) the cost of government borrowing, and I think that at the moment it looks like the cost of government gilts is going to be up at the highest monthly level since 1957 when these records began on 10-year gilts. I mean, that is a concern. And the second is how quickly are interest rates going to rise? Now, it has always been the unspoken part of a trust economic plan that interest rates were going to go up. But I think what the risk the government is now running is that interest rates rise more rapidly than had been expected and to a higher level than had been expected and that could cause two lasting political problems one is because mortgages because of house price mortgages are so much larger than they have been in the past even interest rates that are in historical terms nothing to write home about or even on the slightly on the low side are going to have a really big impact on household finances because so many people have really big mortgages the second point is the government is says that everything it does is about getting growth going with interest rates this high it means that businesses will have to spend an awful lot of money to borrow to invest and i think that means that lots of businesses will say well hang on a second with money costing so much to borrow right now we aren't going to expand because that would involve borrowing some cash to do it and we don't want to do that so i think i think it is guilt and interest rates are the things that should worry the government because sterling is although sterling attracts all the headlines For the reasons I set out, I don't think that is the biggest issue here. But I I would just put one caveat to that. One thing that should worry the government is that when sterling goes down, people's appetite for UK government guilt should go up because guilt's become cheaper to international buyers. The fact that that relationship, which had become more fragile and disjointed in August, now appears to have broken down, is something that should be keeping people awake at night in the Treasury and the Bank of England.
1: Kate, when it comes to how the government is responding to this, we had Kwasi Kwatang out at the weekend doing media and he said he wouldn't comment on the market as, as Chancellor, the market reaction. But he also, I think, raised some eyebrows when he suggested that there could be more tax cuts to come, which um, whether or not you like Treasury orthodoxy, uh, I think we can say was is not something you would say to calm or, or reassure the markets. Today you have number 10 declining to comment on the pound plummeting and you have a situation where... They're saying that you need growth and going back to those lines. Do you think we can see any change of tack from this trust's government?
2: Well, at the moment, there's no indication. It's definitely a double down strategy. As you point out, Katie, uh, the chancellor quasi-quarteng was across the media wave suggesting more tax cuts, Um, but also a bit of a keep calm and carry on strategy. I mean, I think they're very much hoping that things are going to settle down. Look, it's very difficult to create any grand narrative out of roughly two days worth of this kind of market data. And we also have to separate what's happening to the pound to what's happening to borrowing costs. It's not that I don't Think the mini budget has had an effect on the pound, but this trend has been going on for quite some time now, and the story of a weak pound is just as much the story of a strong dollar. The euro has also been weakening against the dollar. Whilst well, so we did get to that record low of 103. Uh the pound has already been rebounding, would be a very strong word, but it's roughly back to where it was on Friday when the markets closed. I'm not going to give you any kind of prediction and hold myself hostage to fortune. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like already there's there's a sense of some level of settling. What's much more interesting to me, and and James started to talk about this as well, is, is how much more it's now costing the UK to borrow at two-year, five-year, ten-year increments. And I think that is a direct rebuke of the fact that the government has cut taxes by 45 billion pounds, increased borrowing by 70 billion pounds, and has not given us an utterance of how it might go about paying for this. And we need to remember that, you know, these markets are not political. They're not making some political left-wing, right-wing comment about what trust has decided to do with tax cuts. They are responding to the fact that it is increasingly obvious that this government wants to borrow a lot of money and has not yet laid out any strategy through which it's going to pay that back. So, you know, I I think that's the much harder thing for the government over the next few weeks is whether or not Kuarteng is going to have to push forward what he did promise, which was some kind of medium term strategy to get the finances in order, because it's very clear that 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 markets aren't uh, responding too well to this huge hike in borrowing.
1: James, a lot of attention right now on the Bank of England and how Andrew Bailey responds. What are the options here?
0: So, people are speculating about an emergency rate hike outside of a normal cycle. I think that is. I personally think that is very, very unlikely because of the panic it would signal. I think what you are likely to get is some words from Andrew Bailey this week that imply a further interest rate rise coming down in the hope that that will, that will calm the market. I think the other big decision the bank has, and there is no good answer to this question, is what does it do on quantitative tightening? So quantitative tightening is when the bank basically sells off the government debt that it created during the COVID crisis, which in, as part of its quantitative easing programme. Now, right now, you would say, looking at what is happening to gilts, this is not a great time to be doing that, Right. But the danger for the Bank of England is that if it decides not to do that, having voted last week to go ahead with it, that will suggest that the Bank of England is being political and trying to help the government out of a tight spot, which could undermine people's belief in the independence of the, in the, independence of the bank, which could have negative effects, again, for the currency and for, for borrowing costs for government. So I think mean, you are in this very difficult situation where the Bank of England has basically no good options. I think there is another question here as well, which is that at the moment, the bank is trying to calm the economy through interest rate rises, while as the government is trying to stimulate the economy through cutting taxes. And I think the problem is those policy goals are contradictory. And I think there are people in the bank who basically think, well, hang on a second, you can't expect us to be the ones doing all the difficult and unpopular stuff while the government is cutting taxes.
2: One of the key pillars of Trustonomics and, and James hinted at this too, is, is that interest rates were going to go up. And one of the reasons they want interest rates to go up is because they wanted to be able to spend more money. They wanted more fiscal loosening. And as far as the government's concerned, you know, the, ha- having this like push and pull, looser fiscal policy, tighter monetary policy, um, you know, is in line with what they want. I think a big problem is that the markets haven't responded exactly as they thought they would. So I think there was a sense that uh, Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, would be much more happy to go along with faster interest rate rises than it appears he has been. One could argue if you look at the history of Andrew Bailey and the fact that he was calling inflation transitory when inflation was already double the bank's target, you know, maybe they maybe they misread that situation and, and maybe there's there was, you know, it's a silly misreading. There's plenty of evidence to suggest he wouldn't have gone along with their plans. Um, But as it happens, you know, he's moving slower than they want. And also, I think there was a, a thought in government that markets would understand their medium term goal, which is that these tax cuts would be like that first major step to spur on growth. And more growth, more tax revenue would fill in a lot of those holes in the public sector finances. The immediate reaction from markets suggests the opposite. As I said, they're actually saying, no, we we care about borrowing first and foremost, and we think you're being irresponsible. It is difficult to say over the next few weeks whether or not things that the Chancellor does might signal to markets that actually they are going to be more responsible in future. There's plenty the government can still do here to signal that, but it's going to mean hard choices. It might, for example, mean pointing to where you're going to cut spending and roll back spending and and, and make some more more difficult calls. And we haven't seen any indication from government yet that, that they're willing to uh, actually lay out those tough decisions to the public.
1: So James, what are the options that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng have right now? Uh, do you think the plan is just to... Keep calm and carry on. Hope that the market settle down. Try not to lean into some of some of the panic that we're seeing. And can they do anything to send a signal to the markets of some of the things Kate's talking about?
0: So I, I thought you saw their strategy actually in, in plain sight on Sunday morning when Kwasi Kwasi went on Laura Koonsberg's show and basically said there are more tax cuts to come. I mean that you know he knew what the market reaction had been to his budget. I mean I mean the market is underestimating the extent to which this will get growth going. Now it is obviously a big bet to basically say that the market have got it wrong but but that is that that is what they are doing. Uh now, I think mean, in a in a parenthesis here, I think one of the things that is happening is that you know, governments did get away with borrowing huge amounts of money during covid to shut down the economy. And so I think their view is well why wouldn't you borrow money to to fund the transition to a lower tax economic model. I think the big thing they've got to do though as Kate said, is Kate says they've got to show where spending restraint is going to come from. Now, the front of the Times today has some suggestions about that, which is departmental budgets would just not be increased in line with inflation. I mean, the political challenge with that is if you're Labour right now, you're going to say the government have borrowed to cut taxes for the 1%, and yet they're telling nurses that there's no money left and that you've got to take a real-terms pay cut. That, I think, is the politics of it. It's much easier to say that you're going to basically just let public spending fall in real terms because you're not going to update departmental budgets in line of inflation. It's much more difficult to do that once the effects of public sector pay and the amount that the public sector is having to pay for energy are taken into account, because that would effectively be cutting the NHS budget in real terms. You know, are they prepared to, have that, to take that political fight. Now, they may well be I think one of the things they've shown is that their political risk appetite is very different from that of Boris Johnson or Theresa May or David Cameron. But we wait to see I think the markets are like, we actually want to see some evidence of this rather than fine words.
1: So James, if we conclude that Liz Truss's very short and not particularly happy honeymoon is now over as Prime Minister, and since Friday's fiscal event, We are back in the territory of excited tweets about letters going in. This is MPs threatening to put letters in to oust Liz Truss Um, as Prime Minister. How seriously should we actually take that?
0: Not very at all. I mean, the Tory party would open itself up to looking completely absurd if it was to try and change leader yet again. Even if you indulge that thought, right, The, the other problem of it is the Tory party could definitely not impose another leadership contest on the country. So you'd have to have a leader who would be picked by acclamation. There is no one no one there who ticks that box. I would also just give you an insight. I think lots of Tory MPs talk about writing letters as a kind of form of therapy rather than as something they actually do. I remember one MP told me three times very confidently that he'd put his letter in about Boris Johnson. And he never told me he'd taken a letter out. And I think it was just, I think his way of venting, when he was really upset with the <laughs> government, when he was really cross, he would pick up the phone to a journalist and say, I've put a letter in, I've had enough. I think it is like a form of therapy. I think it tells you that there is a, that people are are upset or worried or anxious but I really would not take it any more seriously than an MP saying, I'm in a very bad mood. And uh, Although I think that one of the things I would say is this, is that because of the nature of the reshuffle, which was not hugely interested in building bridges within the parliamentary party and reaching out to people who would supported other leadership camps and the like, I think there is, there is, there is a certain lack of goodwill among Tory MPs who, who are still on the backbenches and not in government.
1: But ultimately, Kate, when I think we're talking about Liz Truss's position here, now, she didn't talk about the 45p rate of tax in that leadership contest. Um, I think, by all means, this fiscal event went, went, went bigger than people expected. Some are questioning why she had a mandate. But she did talk about getting rid of the Treasury orthodoxy. And she did talk about the fact that she would borrow to fund her tax cuts. And we also had economists, who she associated herself with, uh, warning that, well, not perhaps warning, perhaps arguing it was a good thing on mortgage rates. So actually... We can talk about the market reaction, but lots of these, uh, you know, cabinet ministers who came out to back her, um, they should have had a bit of an inkling of what might happen, surely.
2: Yeah, this has been a real frustration for me over the weekend, because um, if you are surprised that interest rates are going to be going up further that we're getting big tax cuts and that borrowing is going through the roof and there's no plans to get that under control, then you weren't listening during the campaign. The unspoken bit of Liz Truss's agenda was that, you know, the specific extent to which she wanted interest rates to go up. But She was very clear that, you know, in her words, the Treasury orthodoxy had failed. She was very clear that the Bank of England's monetary policy was too loose and that it had failed to get inflation under control. She was talking in the campaign about reassessing its mandate having a proper inquiry as to how they got it so wrong. She was talking about major tax cuts without any kind of public spending to go alongside it. So perhaps we didn't know every single detail involved. But if you are surprised by what's happening, then you really weren't listening. I suppose where the government is now surprised, as I said before, is I think they thought that the BOE and the markets and maybe their own politicians and maybe the public would understand their perspective and and, and go along with it faster than they are. I am not terribly surprised that the markets are uncomfortable with all of this borrowing. You know, one of the reasons you have a Conservative Party is to remind people of the importance of fiscal responsibility. And if the Tory party has decided that's not a preference anymore, there's going to be some pushback for that. But yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of surprise today, which I'm sure is caught up with people's personal opinions and emotional reactions to what's happening. But to suggest that any of this is really shocking almost lets the government off the hook. A bit too much because i i think they were pretty clear that that these broad policy proposals were the agenda
0: i think you're right kate which is having run against the treasury orthodoxy having kind of run against lots of things that Tonight was saying i mean i think i mean, liz Truss would be totally within her rights to say that she has a mandate from the conservative party membership for what she is doing
1: and finally james There's also news regarding Liz Truss's Chief of Staff, Mark Fulbrook, from the weekend, the Sunday Times broke the story that he is not being uh, paid directly. Can you tell us what's
0: going on? This is a very strange arrangement, especially for someone as senior as Mark Fulbrook. Mark Fulbrook, who is the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, who is the most senior political appointee in Downing Street, he is being paid by the company that he runs, kind of Fulbrook Advisory. And I think there is a question here about why this is happening it is it is a very strange arrangement and his spokesman is very clear that this is not for tax reasons but i find it very hard to see what explanation there is for this because it's a very strange relationship where the government essentially sends what it would pay in terms of his salary and stuff to his company which then pays him but i think it's a very odd decision because Labour, as Angela Rain already is, are basically going to say, well, the Prime Minister's chief of staff has been paid by a lobbying company. And I mean, that, that, that is, I think mean, that is politically suboptimal. And I, I find it a very strange arrangement. And I can't quite see the logical, the rationale for taking this risk.
1: Thank you, James. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening.